Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. We thank you that it teaches us the truth about Jesus so that we can know how to put our trust in him, respond rightly to him and be saved. We pray this morning that we might see more of who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. We pray that this won't just be stuff that we think about, but stuff that we put into practice in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As a kid, I used to love the show, I Dream of Jeannie. I don't know if uh, anybody else saw that show or if I'm perhaps starting to reveal my age a little bit. But uh, the genie in that show, apart from being very cute, has amazing powers. Um, she can do magic. And the thing is, all of her powers, they are all for the service of her master. She's a submissive slave. She does exactly what her master wants her to do. Well, wouldn't it be great to have a genie of your own? Um, all that power at your disposal. Ask for whatever you want and you get it. Of course, there's, there's the more classical genie story, isn't there? You, uh, you, you find a bottle, you give it a rub, out pops the genie and he's your slave. Now, he's in your debt for releasing him. In return, you get three wishes. What would you wish for? Don't give me the smart aleck answer of a thousand wishes. What would you wish for? I, I don't suggest you go for the uh, Tim Tam box that never finishes either. What would you ask for? As humans, we love to get hold of power and use it for our own ends, don't we? We, we love to enslave it, to control it, to, to, to direct power. If we can burn it, if we can, whatever we can do, if we can get hold of power, we want to... We want to direct it to our own ends. We love to have power at our service. Last week in Mark's Gospel, we were presented with the powerful King Jesus. The Jesus with power from God to rule the whole world. The Jesus with power to save his people. The Jesus with power to bring in a whole new world, a whole new relationship with God. The, the, the new covenant. The Jesus that Mark presents has extraordinary power. And Mark told us, in Jesus' words, what we need to do about that power. You can see it in chapter 1 and verses 14 to 15. And notice there, this is not power for us to enslave or control. Jesus says he's come to establish God's kingdom and in response he says we need to repent and believe the good news. Stop running life our way. Submit to Jesus because we believe the good news that he's the king. Chapter 1 verse 14. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in this next section of Mark's Gospel, in the rest of chapter 1, what Mark does, he gives us a, a few um, glimpses into the life of Jesus. He tells us some stuff that Jesus did. And in each story, we see something of Jesus' power. We see aspects of his power. And we see a number of responses to his power. 
some of them are appropriate, where, where people repent and believe the gospel, like Jesus says, but some are also inappropriate responses. Now, the first story. The first story, King Jesus gives some orders. And Mark presents what happens very starkly. He does it deliberately. It's very stark. Jesus sees some blokes. He commands them to follow him. And immediately, they drop what they're doing and obey. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's the Simon who's also called Peter, Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. Let's drop everything. Career, family. But in the light of who Jesus is, in the light of, in the light of who Mark has revealed Jesus to be, that's, that's the right response, isn't it? You, if you believe the good news that Jesus is the king, then you'll do what he says. That's surely what repentance is, isn't it? If the king of the world tells you to do something, you don't ask questions, you don't dilly-dally, you do as the king tells you. In the next section, Mark tells us about a day in the life of Jesus. Now, you reckon you've had busy days. This is a busy day for Jesus. It's a day in the town of Capernaum. It starts in verse 21, and in verse 21 we're on Saturday morning, and it takes us through to verse 39 when we're in Sunday morning. It's Saturday morning to Sunday morning. And again, on this day in Capernaum, we'll see Jesus demonstrate his authority, and we'll see some responses. Now, Saturday morning, um, Jesus goes to synagogue. He has the opportunity to teach, and people are just blown away by this authoritative message. Repent, believe the good news. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And Jesus then has the opportunity to demonstrate something of that authority. A, a demon-possessed man who happens to be there, um, he, he, he cries out, the demon says it knows who Jesus is and this demon is terrified. It knows that Jesus has come to destroy the demons. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And by the way, that term, Holy One of God, it's... Uh, it's only used once in the Old Testament. Uh, something I learned during the week. You know who the person is that, uh, that the, who's the Holy One of God in the Old Testament? It's Samson. You know, big, muscly, a bit stupid, big, muscly Samson. You know that bloke? The bloke who beats up on Philistines. I reckon it's a neat little link. Because you've got Samson the Nazarite. Well, here's strong Jesus, the Nazarene ready to punch up the demons who are cowering before him like strong Samson punched up the Philistines. 
Anyway, Jesus doesn't mess around. He commands the demon to leave and it does. It has to submit to the power of Jesus. And again, people are impressed. Verse 25, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. All right, well, a demonstration of the power of Jesus again, isn't it? Um, as he, as he uh, kicks the demon out. And a couple more responses to Jesus. Uh, you've got the demon, the demon itself. It knows exactly who Jesus is, the, 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 the judge like Samson who's going to win victory. But the demon doesn't repent and believe the good news, does it? This demon is an enemy of God. It's opposing King Jesus. And so when it sees the power of Jesus, well, it's, it's terrified. And, and rightly so, because it will be defeated and destroyed. You've also got the people of Capernaum there. And they're starting to recognise that Jesus has authority, but uh, they're impressed. But at this stage, we, we, we don't yet see what they're going to do about it. Uh, we move to Saturday lunchtime after, after synagogue. Jesus heads over to Simon and Andrew's place. Simon's wife's mum is crook. Uh, Jesus heals her and have a look at how she responds. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them, to serve them. Same word as it uses of the angels back in verse 13, attending Jesus. Jesus heals her. He demonstrates his authority over sickness. And in response, what does Simon's mother-in-law do? She serves Jesus and his disciples. Again, appropriate response, don't you think? You meet the king... You are healed by the king, and what do you do? You serve him. You serve his people. Makes perfect sense. Now, the next scene, we move to Saturday night. The Sabbath, the Sabbath you may be aware, goes from Friday at sunset until Saturday at sunset. So Saturday night, we're out of the Sabbath. People have got much more freedom to move around. So a whole heap of people come to Jesus and they want him to, to heal them or drive out demons and Jesus does it. Verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Seems like a successful evening, don't you think? Um, lots of miracles, lots of happy people. But Jesus is troubled. So he gets up Sunday morning before dawn and he spends time in prayer. After a while, the disciples come and they tell him, Jesus, come on, more people want to get healed and exercise. This is great. But Jesus says, no, no. He says, that's, that's not why I came. He says, we need to move on, different place, keep on preaching. Verse 
verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It's a bit strange, don't you think? A bit, uh, bit weird. I mean, what's the problem here? What, what happened in that, in that prayer time? Why does Jesus move on? It all looked like it was going great in Capernaum. What was wrong? It seems to me the problem is this. The people of Capernaum were treating Jesus like a genie. They thought they had someone to to heal them and drive out demons, and and they did, but they thought they had someone they can now have heal them and drive out demons. They they thought they had someone who could give them what they want. Can you see why that's a problem? They, they see Jesus' authority and power and in response, they don't serve Jesus like Simon's mother-in-law. They want Jesus to serve them. They, they, they don't obey like the disciples, no questions asked. They want Jesus to obey them. When they see who Jesus is, they don't repent and believe the gospel. They try to use the power of the king for themselves. They think they've got themselves, got themselves a genie. It's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to be the king, not someone's genie. King Jesus demands repentance, not orders. King Jesus is looking for servants, not masters. In the last scene, we move to another day. A leper comes to Jesus. In those days, lepers were considered not just sick but, but unclean as well. They had to stay away from people, as we saw vividly demonstrated. Um, but this leper breaks with convention. He, he comes away from the outside places and, uh, and he comes in and asks Jesus to, to make him clean. And Jesus, Jesus touches him. Now, what should happen when Jesus touches him is that Jesus should become unclean. But what does happen is that the leper becomes clean. Jesus has this contagious holiness, contagious cleanness. He he has power over uncleanness, the power to make people clean, uh, fit for the presence of God, fit for the presence of God's people. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing You can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Once again, Jesus has shown his power, hasn't he? Power over the unclean. Power power to make people fit for the presence of God and his people. And now King Jesus, King Jesus has a command for the ex-leper. Monty Python fans, 
come back to me now. I know I've sent you away with the ex-leper. King Jesus has a command for the ex-leper. He says, he says, I don't want you to go blabbing about this to everyone. And in context, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, look at what just happened. Jesus does not want lots more people looking for a genie. And so he says to the ex-leper, don't go and tell anyone. He says, go to the priest. Have him confirm that you're clean. Verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Well, the king's command is perfectly clear, isn't it? The king has said what he wants. But sadly, the ex-leper refuses to obey. And so Jesus actually now has to move outside to the wilderness. He can't hang around with people anymore. Verse 45. Instead, the, the leper went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. If you think, if you think about it, it's ironic. At the start of the story, the leper was the outsider. He was the one out in the lonely places who couldn't come into contact with people. But now, through the disobedience of this leper, Jesus and the leper have changed places. Now, now Jesus is the one who is outside in the lonely places. And for those with eyes to see, it's just a little taste of what's ahead. As Jesus confronts disobedient humanity, as Jesus cleanses disobedient humanity, it is going to come at a cost to Jesus. As Jesus confronts disobedient humanity to, 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 to bring us into the city of God, it's going to mean he has to go outside the city, outside of Jerusalem to die on a cross. As Jesus confronts disobedient humanity to, to, to cleanse us and, and make us fit for fellowship with God, it's going to come at a cost. As Jesus, as Jesus will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's just a taste. I reckon it's pretty powerful though. Anyway, the thing to see now is this. The leper is, com is presented with the authority of Jesus. He's given a command and he disobeys. Of course, that's a wrong response, isn't it? Um, that's not repenting and believing the good news. All right, let's, let's try and pull the whole thing together then. When it comes to dealing with Jesus, we are dealing with serious power. We're dealing with nuclear reactor type stuff here. We're dealing with serious authority. This man teaches God's truth with authority. This man has authority over evil spirits. This man has authority over disease. This man has authority over the unclean. Here is a man who can destroy Satan. Here is a man who can get rid of sickness. Here is a man who can take away uncleanness and bring us into the very presence of God. Here is the king in God's kingdom. Need to make the right response. Jesus is not someone you oppose like the demon did. Jesus is not someone you disobey like the leper did. And Jesus is no genie. Jesus is not looking for masters, he's looking for servants, servants who will serve him like Simon's mother in law, servants who will obey him no matter what the cost. 
like Simon himself and Andrew and, and James and John. It all comes back to Jesus' message. The time has come. The king is here. Now people need to repent and believe the gospel. But you know, you know, sad to say, today there are still lots of people who make exactly the same mistakes as the people here in Mark 1. People who respond wrongly to King Jesus. Still today, there are people who oppose Jesus, like the demon there in Mark 1. In this world today, there are many people actively opposing Christianity. Now, maybe they do it by following de demonic things like, like witchcraft or Satanism or astrology or something like that. Maybe they do it by, by writing books against Christianity. Maybe they do it by persecuting Christians. Plenty of people like that. Plenty of countries where people like that seem to be in the ascendancy, but the message of this chapter is clear. In taking on Jesus, they've taken on more than they can handle. Jesus, like Samson before him, will destroy his enemies. I hope you're not opposing King Jesus because you won't win. You need to surrender and submit to the king. Now, some people oppose Jesus. And still today, there are some people who disobey Jesus, like that leper. Jesus, Jesus has given them everything. Jesus has given them life itself. Jesus is offering to make them clean, to, to fit to take their place in God's kingdom. But people like that, they refuse. They say, no. They say, I want to run life my way. I want to be my king. I don't want Jesus telling me what to do. I don't want anyone else telling me what to do. My life, my way. But here's the thing. You cannot accept the cleansing of Jesus and keep living your way. Not like that leper tried to do. Jesus cleanses us to bring us into his kingdom where he is the king. And that means, that means our disobedience needs to stop. If you don't want to obey Jesus, well, you don't want to be a Christian. It's as simple as that. Still today, some people oppose Jesus. Still today, some people disobey Jesus. And still today, there are people who want to treat Jesus like some kind of a genie, like those people in Capernaum. Now, you see obvious examples of that, don't you? Um, you turn on the TV and you see some healing ministry or uh, some kind of name-it-and-claim-it prosperity ministry where, where people give you a formula, and if you follow the formula, you can get what you want from Jesus. Pray the right way, have the right kind of faith, buy the prayer handkerchief that's been blessed or whatever for $12.50, whatever it is. It's the equivalent of if you can just rub the bottle, use the right formula, then Jesus will pop out to do your bidding, give you health or wealth or whatever else you ask for. I mean, those are obvious examples. But, you know, I actually think this is a trap that we can very easily fall into ourselves. Now, that's why I started off with this idea, because I think this is very relevant to us. I suspect there aren't too many people here writing books against Christianity. Of course, we're all disobedient, but, but I think we know in ourselves that, that, that Jesus is the king and we should be obeying him. But, but this, I think, we can very easily fall into, and we can do it in subtle ways. We have subtle ways where we expect Jesus to be our servant instead of our master. 
And maybe it's those times when, um, when we resent God for not giving us what we want or, or for allowing bad things to happen to us or for not answering our prayers. Do, do you ever get a bit like that? Do you ever get grumpy with God? As if, as if he should do what you want. You know best. You've asked for it. He should fall in line. As if, as if God owes you something. Now that you've entrusted your important life to Jesus, God should do things your way. He should be so thankful to you. Or maybe it comes across in your prayers. We, we, we present God with a shopping list of all the things we want and we give no consideration to what he wants. We, we make no attempt to pray in line with his revealed will. Is that how you pray? Or maybe it's even more basic than that. Maybe it's the whole reason we are Christians in the first place. I mean, there are lots of benefits in being a Christian, don't get me wrong. Good to be forgiven. Good to have meaning and purpose in life. Good to be rescued from hell. Good to have eternal life with God. Those are all good reasons to be a Christian. But I think true Christianity takes us just beyond what it can do for us. I think true Christianity... We need to ask ourselves, am I just a Christian for what I can get out of it? Do I trust in Jesus just because of what he can give me or is there more to it? Is there more to it? Do I trust in Jesus because he's worthy of my trust? Do I obey Jesus because he deserves my obedience? Do I love Jesus because he is inherently lovable? Do, do I worship Jesus because he deserves my worship? Do you see the point? Do we offer Jesus our lives not just because it benefits us, but because that is the appropriate response to the king. It's the appropriate res response to who he is. It's where we go beyond thanking and praying into praising. Interesting thought, don't you reckon? I suspect it is a trap we easily fall into of treating Jesus like some kind of a genie. We need to remember the truth from this chapter. You don't come into God's kingdom as Jesus' master. You come into God's kingdom as Jesus' slave. And we mustn't oppose him. We mustn't disobey him. We mustn't treat him like a genie. Instead, we should respond to Jesus like the disciples did. Now, obviously, we can't literally down tools and follow the man Jesus around up to Jerusalem, but we ought to show that same ready obedience. Jesus has made his commands clear to us in his word. He's told us how he wants us to live. He's told us what he wants us to do, and we need to put obedience to God's revealed will above everything else. We need to put obedience to what Jesus says to us in the Bible above our families, above our career, above money, no matter what the costs. We should be immediate obeyers. No questions asked. Or similarly, we should respond to Jesus like Simon's mother-in-law. We should serve Jesus, serve his people. Again, obviously we can't serve Jesus himself in person, but we can serve his people, can't we? Because they're still around, they're in our family, in, in, in our church. But you know what that means is this. It means we do not come to church as consumers. This is, this is not David Jones. Come in, pay your money and, and get what you want. 
expect to be served. We come as fellow slaves of King Jesus, willing to pitch in and play our part. I thank God that here in this church there are so many people who are willing to serve like that. Okay, do you get the point then of, of, of this chapter in Mark's Gospel? Do you see who Jesus is? The, the powerful king, authority. Do you see how we should respond? Don't oppose him, don't disobey him, don't treat him like a genie, no way. We need to obey King Jesus, we need to serve him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that King Jesus came into this world. We thank and praise you that he is the king in your kingdom. We thank and praise you that at great cost to himself, he has done what it takes to offer us a place in your kingdom. We pray that we may recognize the authority of King Jesus and obey and serve him as our master, even as we accept his cleansing and salvation. Our Father, we pray that you help us to do this not only with our words, but in our lives, not only on Sundays, but every day. For King Jesus is worth it. And so we pray in his name. Amen.